Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I know it's a controversial-ish topic, but I feel like being a politician in Singapore is a pretty sweet job. Alright, if you get elected, it's very good money. I think as an, a quote-unquote entry-level minister in Singapore, it's tagged to the top earners in Singapore. So right, if you are you're in your first year or something, you have a monthly salary of about $46,000 or so. And per year, it's about $600,000 in fixed salary and up to $900,000 with bonuses and everything. And this is if you are a quote-unquote entry-level starting minister. But generally, the benchmark is something like $55,000 a month and an annual salary of more than a million a year. Like the per month salary is more than my annual salary when I first started working. So I was like a little bit shook. I mean, I knew that the ministers in Singapore earned a lot, but I was like, wow. Okay, granted, it's a very high stress, high skill job. Alright, I can't imagine making the decisions for Singapore. Okay, so that's like just a minister, right? And so what if you're the prime minister? It'll be about $2.2 million because it's double a regular minister's salary, right? And apparently this is... This 2.2 million is already a reduction of 36% from the 2010 levels and this is still like really good money. And you know because the PM, he is the man and and not to get political but I do think that our current prime minister is pretty nice. He has very good calm energy. Um so because he is Demand. There's not really anyone to decide how much his bonus should be. And so the Singapore PM's bonus is based on the national bonus. Alright, and it's a very, very high-stress job, I'm sure. And I think we can all say that Singapore is generally quite well-run, yeah? But it is great pay, great prestige. And what's nice is that Singapore is also pretty safe. I I don't think that in my lifetime there's been any political attacks, not that I know of. But it seems like just recently, internationally, being a politician has become a very dangerous job. And I think that like any job in the public eye, it is a pretty dangerous job. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we're covering the assassination of Shinzo Abe, the former Prime Minister of Japan. Okay, so because this is quite a complex case, to keep things in order, to get our ducks in a row, we're going to go in sequence, okay? So first, we're going to talk about Shinzo Abe, who he is, how he became the Prime Minister of Japan. Then, we're going to talk about Tetsuya Yamagami, the man who killed him. And finally, we are going to go over how the assassination 
happened. So let's start with Shinzo Abe. Shinzo Abe was born on 21st September 1954 and he was the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history. He came from a very political family. His dad, his dad was Shintaro Abe and Shintaro served in the House of Representatives from 1958 to 1991, so that's a while. He also in this time served as Chief Cabinet Minister, Minister for International Trade and Industry, Minister of Foreign Affairs, and he's very patriotic. During World War II, he even volunteered to be a kamikaze pilot, which is saying something. And this is just his dad, Shintaro Abe. Now his mom was Yoko Kishi, and she was the daughter of Nobusuke Kishi. So Nobusuke Kishi was his grandfather. Now Nobusuke, he was one of the political leaders during occupied China and Manchukuo, and he was the vice minister of munitions during World War II. And I was like, okay, so what does this mean? This means that after World War II, he was imprisoned as a class A war criminal. But he was released during the Cold War and during that time, he founded the Liberal Democratic Party and this was founded in 1955. He eventually served as the Prime Minister of Japan from 1957 to 1960 and during that time, there were protests which forced him to resign. So that's his grandfather. So yes, he came from an extremely political family. Now, he wasn't an only child, he had two brothers, Hironobu Abe and Nobuo Abe. Now, Hironobu, he went into corporate life where I think, if I'm not wrong, he was the president and CEO of Mitsubishi Shoji Packaging, so high achiever. His younger brother, Nobuo, he also went into political life. He was the senior vice minister of foreign affairs. So, Shinzo Abe, he was a middle child from what I understand. So he grows up in this very politically charged environment. He goes to Seke Elementary School, then Junior, then Senior High School. He goes to Seke University and he studies public administration and graduates with a degree in, you guessed it, political science. Then from 1978 to 1979, for about a year or so, he studies in the University of Southern California. He studied English, but he also took courses in history, international relations, political science. And here is a fun fact. I think for a period of time, he actually wanted to be not a politician, but a filmmaker. Now, his first job is in 1979, where he works for Kobe Steel. But a little while after that, he starts working in government. And I don't want to say through his connections, but you know, like the thing is that people would have known who he was because of his dad and his grandfather, right? So he worked as an executive assistant to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. He worked as a private assistant slash secretary to a bunch of important people. He also worked as a secretary to his dad which I think is kind of like a nice thing, you know, to work with parents. Now, very unfortunately, Shinzo Abe's dad dies in 1991. And a little bit after that, he starts running for office. And by 1993, he gets his first role in office in the House of Representatives, where he's elected in the first district of Yamaguchi 
prefecture. So he, he, he does really well. He works and works and climbs and climbs up the political ladder. And it's a very long and illustrious career, okay? And in 1999, he's the director of social affairs. From 2000, he's the deputy chief cabinet secretary. And in 2002, now this is really interesting... He was the chief negotiator with North Korea for Japanese abductees that were kidnapped. And this is something that we've covered before. North Korea was kidnapping Japanese people. And something that made him really, really popular was when North Korea was like, all right, we're going to let some of the people that we kidnapped visit Japan, visit their family. And so when the people came over, he was like, nah, we're going we're gonna to keep them. They're, they're Japanese people. They're our people. We're going to keep them. You can suck it. And of course, it was the right thing to do as well. And with his sweet, sweet popularity, he was elected as the president of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, the same party that his grandfather started. And voila, he was the prime minister of Japan. And so politically, he's considered quite conservative, right-wing, and we're not going to get into his policy because that will take very, very long. But in total, until his assassination this year, he served four terms as Prime Minister, which is very decent. Are you tired of true crime? Do you want a happy ending for a change? There's this new podcast that I've been listening to. It's called How I Met You, an Asian podcast about love. And every Monday, they release episodes where couples share how they meet, their biggest arguments, and their less than perfect proposals, just like this snippet. So if you look at like his Instagram, right, and you just scroll down, all of his posts are him at raves and then like doing nonsense. And I know I wasn't the kind of person like, I want to believe I'm fun, but I'm not like, whoa, you know? And that, that's the kind of life that he used to lead. So then I'm just like, this is probably not for you. And maybe you feel like you like me now, but in a while you're going to realise it's not the life you want. You want a more exciting life. Are you in this relationship just because you want a boring life? Like you're done living that part of excitement. Yeah. Am I like the boring, stable option? Because that's not what I'm seeking. If you want to check them out, link to their podcast is in the description. So now we're going to talk about his personal life a little bit. Shinzo Abe's wife was Aki Matsuzaki. And Aki was money. She was hella money. Now, Aki's father was the president of a company called Moringa & Co. And you'll recognize it. It was one of Japan's largest confectionery companies. You will recognize this, okay? Like Haichu Candy, Marie Biscuits, all made by that company. And the thing is that she would have been perfectly in her right to chill out for the rest of her life, you know? But she worked. So after graduating from Sacred Heart Professional Training College, she worked for Densu, which is the world's largest ad agency. And if you know anything about working for an ad agency, you know it's going to be pretty rough. So she had a pretty decent career when she married him in 1987 and after that she was a radio DJ and at one point she opened an organic izakaya which is like a tea house. She also got her masters in social design studies and so she was doing the most and she really wasn't one to stand down either because locally she was known as the quote-unquote domestic opposition party which was very cute and you know just because she was the prime minister's wife she wouldn't just follow his views. she would hold her own views even if she didn't agree with her husband but um, unfortunately Shinzo Abe and Aki they never had kids which is okay you know it happens so this 
is Shinzo Abe, the longest serving president in Japan and if anything, he left a profound influence and legacy on the political landscape there. Now, let's take a moment and talk about Tetsuya Yamagami, the killer. And when we talk about this case and when we talk about Tetsuya, we have to talk about the Unification Church. Now, the Unification Church is a South Korean church that started in 1954. And its holding is, if you want world peace, you have to have peaceful families. You know, this starts from the bottom. And theoretically, like a lot of ideology, theoretically, it makes sense. And the other thing that is known for, which is a little bit strange in my opinion, is mass weddings. You know, not like a whole bunch of people being polygamous and like getting married to each other, but like just getting a whole bunch of couples all married together, which I, I, I guess, I guess is kind of nice because you don't have to plan your wedding, right? You don't have to choose the flowers and the hotels and the angpao money and everything. But it's also not super nice because I guess you don't get to share your, your quote-unquote special day. Now, because of this, I, I guess, I guess, because of these kind, this kind of family ideology, it was very, it was a very influential church in conservative circles. Now, back to Tetsuya, we don't really know much about him, but here's what I could find. At the time where this happened, he was 41 years old, so he was born around 1981 or so, and he had, well, he had a pretty rough life. His dad died when he was really young. His dad died in 1984, where he would have been around 3 or so. And in 1991, when he was about 10, his mom joins the Unification Church. And so instead of using insurance money to take care of the house, to take care of food, you know, she donates 20 million yen, and that's about 200,000 Singapore dollars, to the church. Then 30 million yen, then 10 million yen, and in total, in Singapore dollars, that's more than half a million dollars. And because his mom was giving away all their money to the church, he grew up really rough. He had two siblings, nobody had enough to eat, and this is ridiculous because shouldn't a happy household be one where everybody has enough to eat, right? And Tetsuya and his siblings, they literally had to call relatives, they had to call their uncle for food. And the mom didn't just leave it, right? When she ran out of money, she would keep bothering her brother for money to the point where he would be like, I'm go- if you don't leave now, if you don't stop bothering me for money, I'm going to literally throw this pot of tea at you. And so now, in 1998, Tetsuya is about 17 and his grandfather dies, his mom's dad. And instead of using any inheritance for food, for school even, she sells the land that she inherits and donates all the money to mm, the church. Isn't that crazy? And by 2002, Tetsuya's mom is officially bankrupt. And that same year, he drops out of school to earn money and he ends up going into the Maritime Self-Defense Force, which I, I, I think is kind of like the Navy. And by 2005, his life is really, it's just a bit of a mess, all right? But he just couldn't walk away from his family either because he had a brother and sister to to basically take care of. And instead, he takes a life insurance policy and tries to commit suicide. And this fails. And the church, you know, the church comes back defending themselves, saying that, oh, we returned 50 million yen, but... You know, it's still a bit suspicious. What kind of indoctrination would drive a mother to just completely disregard her children like that, to disregard her family like that? 
And even though she's bankrupt, whatever money that she has, she keeps giving it to the church. And of course, the church claims that there's no record of her donation, which, you know, mm. And so the thing is that Tetsuya, he's mad at the church, but I think he's really mad at his mom for doing this. But it's always, it's almost kind of like when your husband cheats on you and then you're mad at the mistress instead of your husband because it's a bit, it's a bit difficult to be mad at somebody that you're supposed to love. And I think it's a little bit like that. And I also think it's a bit like, theoretically, he thinks that attacking the church would do more good. You know, speculati- speculating. He thinks that attacking the church would do more good in preventing anyone from going through the same things that he did. But, you know, we'll never know about that. This is all speculation. But we do know that since 2002, when his mom declared bankruptcy, he, he already had this feeling. He carried this feeling of wanting to attack the church, wanting to kill the leaders of the church. He thought about killing them with knives, Molotov cocktails. But he just couldn't get close enough. Now, this particular attack, he starts planning in the spring of 2021. At first, he wants to attack the church directly. He wanted to create a bomb, but there was COVID in 2021 and he couldn't travel to South Korea to attack the church leaders. Okay, okay, so one day, he sees a video message from Shinzo Abe to one of the church affiliates. And the thing is that we got to clarify that Shinzo Abe is not part of the reunification church, okay? But the issue is that Tetsuya believed that it was Shinzo Abe's grandfather's fault, Kishi Nobusuke's fault, for letting the church set up in Japan. And it was Shinzo Abe's fault for allowing the church to grow in Japan. And so because of this belief, he changes his target to Shinzo Abe. Now, at this point of time, Shinzo Abe has stepped down as Prime Minister and his last term was 2017 to 2020 and he stepped down because of his health. He had recurring colitis, which is a digestive disease. Now, even though he stepped down, he was still pretty politically active and he was speaking at an event in Yokoyama, but Tetsuya, he went there and he saw that there was a ton of security and he was like, "Mm, no, I'm going to wait. And so he waits until another event. And Shinzo Abe, at that point, he wasn't speaking at a campaign for himself. He was speaking in support of other LDP candidates. And so Tetsuya, he prepares. He starts trying to make a gun with iron iron pipes, something that looks like duct tape. He buys random 3D printed bags and gunpowder online. And this is the very scary part. He watches YouTube to do this. And I was shook. I was like, oh my god, you can learn how to make a gun on YouTube. And then after that, he goes into the mountains to practice shooting his gun, right? And the thing is that he already has something like three-ish years of military training. So he's relatively prepared for this. And so now we land on the day itself. It happens on 8th July 2022. It's about 11am and Shinzo Abe was speaking at the Yamato Saidaiji station in Nara. Tetsuya approaches from behind, and even though Shinzo Abe has security with him, it's a fluke and they're too slow. The first shot misses, but the second shot is fatal, and it hits his heart. And Tetsuya is taken down, but Shinzo Abe is taken to the Nara Medical University Hospital. But on the way there, he already loses his vital signs, and even though in the hospital he receives 100 units of blood, it's too much blood loss. And by 5.03pm on the same day, He's declared dead. 
Now, Tetsuya has been arrested and is currently undergoing psychological evaluation. And I think it's a little bit unfair. But according to the news, the, the current Prime Minister of Japan, he blamed the police for not reacting fast enough or not noticing the threat. But I'm going to say that nobody expects this. It's a bit hard to notice. And it's a train station. There's so many points of entry. I think that Shinzo Abe really had such a profound impact on Japan, serving as his prime minister for so many years. And I'm sure he's a very controversial figure in Japanese politics, from what I've read. But I think in politics, it's very hard not to. I also think it's really especially shocking to have an assassination of someone so prominent in, in today, right? But looking at this case, apparently in the 1920s and the 1930s, political assassinations were not that uncommon in Japan then. So it makes becoming a politician a very scary career choice. Well, if you like this case, remember to share it with your friends. Give us a 5-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. It really helps the show. You can drop me a DM on Instagram at a briefcase podcast if you have any recommendations or if you just want to tell me how much you like the show. <laughs> and as always, find me online at abriefcasepodcast.com and do join us next week for another briefcase. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.